Hey folks, James here. Normally we have an opening bit with these Pemmy and James episodes. We try to do something funny, but we have breaking news. We've managed to finagle a way to bring Pembroke W. Corgi himself to Flower City Comic Con in Rochester, New York. And he will be joining me for a panel at that show. So if you are in the Western New York area, come on down to the Total Sports Experience in Gates. It's free parking, and it's going to be September 25th and 26th. We hope to see you there. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The Penny and James can sort of hopefully funny cartoon Hello once again out there in podcast land. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. And for our 11th episode on the Pemmy and James kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast, we have a genuine classic for you today. One of my favorite Hanna-Barbera cartoons ever made. I think it was number three when I made a top seven video on that. Yep, we are talking about the most effectual Top Cat, who was not even necessarily a huge success in his first run. I think he was more successful when it reran on syndication, if I recall right. Yeah, that and uh, when when ABC switched it from its primetime spot to Saturday mornings. Yep. Funny, that also that happened to Johnny Quest. Yeah, and I think it happened to the Jetsons also. Yeah. I think the only show that successfully stayed in prime time was uh, the Flintstones. Either way, Top Cat is easily one of the most fondly remembered of Hanna-Barbera's cartoon characters of the studio's golden age. I remember, like, Joe Barbera, like, I think it was Joe Barbera or William Hanna, but I'm pretty sure it was Joe Barbera because it sounds more like a Joe Barbera story. Joe Barbera was talking about how, like, they had an ABC exec just come in and they just had drawn this sketch of Top Cat who was at the time just called boss cat. And he's like, Hey, we have this character we were drawing. What do you think? And, and the exec was just like, I'll buy it. <laughs> Make wow. some episodes or something like that. And it's like, all right. <laughs> it, it is a strong design though. Yeah. He, he was talking, it was mainly because he was talking about how like in the early, early days, once the Flintstones hit big, it felt like they could just show up, picture to the execs and they'd get a show because they were the only people in the business for that at the time pretty much i think the only people who were coming close were jay ward productions because rocky and bullwinkle did have some primetime airings yep the bullwinkle show yep on the on nbc which notoriously caused jay ward to serve quote unquote fried peacock at a press junket Sounds exactly like something Jay Ward would do. Oh, yeah. We'll talk more about him off air. <laughs> but, uh, but the premise of Top Cat is very much inspired by the Phil Silvers show, with the star portrayed similarly to the conniving Sergeant Bilko, played by Phil Silvers himself. Yeah, because that was kind of the concept for a lot of these early Hanna-Barbera cartoons were to take inspiration from either pre-existing shows or actual actors, but while taking inspiration, still making it something of its own, because while, yeah, it takes a lot of inspiration from Sergeant Bilko, it's still very much its own thing, 
And also, maybe one of the reasons why, for a long time, it, a long time, cartoons had this idea that, like, scheming con men always sounded, had that Phil Silver's imitation voice for a long period, even as far as the adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog had, like, Wes Weasley, and he was also drawn and voiced in a portrayal of pretty much uh, Phil Silver's, uh, his Sergeant Bilko role. Yeah, and this wouldn't even be the first time Hanna-Barbera would dip into this well. They did the same with uh, Hokey Wolf. Yeah, who was, uh, in that case, it was Dawes Butler doing his Phil Silver's imitation, which he also does a similar, another Phil Silver's-esque character in Hair Bear. Help, it's the Hair Bear Bunch, with, where he plays Hair Bear. Yep, but our Phil Silver's XP is Top Cat is voiced by Arnold Stang, who started acting at a very young age and worked opposite the likes of Henry Morgan and Milton Berle. And uh, one of his last roles was, uh, I think, what, what was it? Uh, Hercules in New York with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yeah, back when he was Arnold Strong. That was in 1969. Yeah, one of the reasons why they didn't just get Dawes Butler for this is, this started with the Flintstones, was before they did the Flintstones, all of the like cartoon animal shows was entirely Dawes Butler and Don Messick. And when they did the Flintstones, one of the things that ABC asked was, can you get different voice actors? Because the pilot actually had, again, Dawes Butler and Don Messick playing uh, Fred and uh, Barney. And uh, the executives was like, can you get different voice actors? All your shows are starting to sound the same. So they made a point to, while Dawes Butler and Don Messick are in like, the Jetsons, um, they do uh, make them less reliant on them in these primetime shows. So, while Messick does definitely appear in Top Cat, he is not one of the main characters, for example. Nope. Although, coincidentally, when ABC uh, got the early episodes, I believe they said, hey, we're paying for Arnold Stang, not Arnold Stang doing an impression of Phil Silvers. So, later uh, episodes had Top Cat sounding a little more like his, like Arnold Stang's natural voice. Which I think works really well, because I actually like Arnold Stang's voice. It's It works really good for the con artist role, but it doesn't sound like... It, it sounds... It, it's got... Even his normal voice has enough Phil Silvers-ishness to it to make it work without, you know, being obvious, over-the-top obvious Phil Silvers. That, I just like Arnold Stang's voice. It's really good. It, it's a great voice. And it's very suitable for this character who is often too clever for his own good and absolutely loves adulation along with the wealth and comfort he's perpetually seeking in his attempts to escape Hoagie's Alley. (laughs) Hoagie's Alley. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't think we're going to be running into the yellow kid there. (laughs) There's there's a joke only the two of us are going to get. Do I need to get my NES zapper? (laughs) <laughs> so Top Cat's gang are a colorful lot, both figuratively and literally. And let's start with Benny the Ball, voiced by Phil Silver's show veteran Maurice Scosfield. Yeah, I, I love his voice, by the way. It's it's raspy, but it works for like the dim kind of sidekick character really well. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call Benny terribly dim, but he is straightforward to a fault for both good and bad. Maybe not dim as much as naive would probably be the best explanation for Benny. 
Uh, agreed. Because he's, he's very childlike a lot. To the point to where, like... Because uh, one of the things is, uh, Top Cat is hugely popular in Mexico. And if you hear the, the voice for Biddy in the Mexican dub, he sounds absolutely adorable. <laughs> mm, okay. They give him, like, a very childlike, adorable voice, and it's just like, you hear it, you just immediately want to hug him. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to break my one, one line per episode rule, and I'm going to insert a bit of the Spanish dub right here. Oh my goodness, you're right, that is cute. <laughs> we also got, like, meme popular choo-choo. Oh, yes, choo-choo. He's a pink, we think, Siamese cat, at least based on those eyes. And I've seen him described as having more enthusiasm than sense and a lot of nerves around women, but that doesn't come up in the episodes we watched. He's definitely probably one of my favorite designs in the show, because it's it's a very... The eyes make him stand out a lot. Like, they're very, very attention-grabbing. And and it's also, like, that Hanna-Barbera logic I love, where it's like, Rational colors are thrown out the window. It's like Top Cat's yellow, Benny's blue, Choo Choo's pink. Yeah. <laughs> it's that abstraction part of it that I love. Um, his voice is really good, too, by Marvin Kaplan, who actually, yeah. who actually, if I remember right, reprises that role uh, both in the, uh, the 80s uh, straight-to-TV movie uh, Top Cat and the Beverly Hills Cats, as well as the, I think, late 80s, early 90s, uh, Shake, Rattle, and Row sub-show, which was Fender Bender 500, in which was pretty much like kind of a wacky races with monster trucks and a bunch of Hanna-Barbera alumni characters, which includes one car driven by Top Cat and Choo Choo. Indeed. And, you know, Marvin Kaplan would use his Woody Allen impression for a bunch of one-off cartoon characters. He'd pop up on Garfield and Friends with it, and he'd also... To, uh, the O-Rats. What a cartoon for Cartoon Network. Nice. Woody Allen has always been kind of a popular character to imitate throughout, like, oh, shoot, like, straight from the, like, 60s clear into the 90s, I think. Yeah. I mean, even <clears throat> Philbert in uh, Rocco's Modern Life is, like, is a Woody Allen imitation. Yeah, just so long as it, as it stops at the voice, I think we're safe. <laughs> yes. Comedian Leo DeLion voices a pair of characters in Top Cat's Gang, both the ironically named Brain, the dimmest of the crew, now that's an accomplishment, and Spook, the the street smart fellow with with the necktie. Very beatnik attitude. Like Coolsville, man. Yeah, far out. <laughs> I don't know much about what else Leo did in terms of voice acting. No, I'm not too familiar with him either. I don't even know if he reprised those roles in uh, the Beverly Hills Cat. I know Maurice Gosfield sure wasn't able to reprise his roles any then. Oh, uh, we'll get into that replacement towards the end of the episode. And then last, we got Fancy Fancy, voiced by uh, Stephen uh, John Stevenson, who would become a Hanna Barbera alumni after this, as he would appear in a lot of Hanna Barbera cartoons after this. Yeah, and Fancy Fancy is the ladies man of the the sextet of cats very clark gable-esque yeah the voice is actually patterned after cary grant oh 
I got my wrong uh, <laughs> suave old school actor. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I, I could see the Clark Gable comparison too. He's got like the fancy scarf around his neck and very, very, uh, very kind of uh, what what's a uh, very classy accent. I know what there's a name for it, but it's I can't remember. Harvard esque kind of voice to him. Mid Atlantic? Yeah, it might be. See, but yeah, John Stevenson would end up being in a lot of Hanna Barbera stuff after this. Like he's uh Mr. Peevely on Help It's a Hair Bear Brunch. He's Lazy Luke and Blubber Bear in Wacky Races. He takes over as Mildew Wolf for Laugh Olympics, probably because Hanna Barbera didn't want to hire <laughs> pay to hire uh Paul End again. <laughs> mm. Well, a lot of people got recast in Laugh Olympics, and I'm sure it's for budget reasons. So, because that's a lot of characters. Yeah. <laughs> but to his credit, John Stevenson does a really good Paul Lind imitation. That's so. pretty good. Now, rounding out the core cast is the series antagonist, police officer Dibble, who's voiced by character actor Alan Jenkins, who has dozens upon dozens of movie credits to his name and was labeled the greatest scene stealer of the 1930s by the New York times. And he's a, he's a good job on this. Cause sometimes you feel kind of bad for Dibble cause he seems like such a nice guy and he has to put up with all of this garbage from top cat. No kidding. Most frequently top cat using and abusing the police phone in Hoagie's alley. Oh, can I tell you a personal connection I have with this show? Sure. Uh, my uncle Tim, um, when he was alive, which was my mom's brother, his nickname was TC because his name was Tim Carroll, uh, Tim Karras. And so. Okay, cool. It, Top Cat was like one of his favorite shows and one of my mom's favorite shows because they related it to him because it's TC. So. so are you ready to dive into uh, the episodes or do we still have more preamble? I think we're good. Let's get into this. All right, starting with episode 22, The Late TC. It's my favorite episode, actually. Okay. Now, Top Cat has brains summon the gang via clanging garbage can lids together. But he's not happy with how they arrived, and he makes them do it again. And again. Where the third time, they launched themselves off a clothesline. <laughs> I like, uh, I like Choo Choo's line on this. It's like, if this isn't, if this doesn't work, just keep on running. <laughs> Uh, Top Cat is knocked over, but satisfied with their panache. That's a bit of an entrance. So, at this meeting, TC is looking to do a baseball pool to get one of them, Reed himself, on a $6 cruise up the Hudson River. To which he gets his gang to pick numbers of scores that will happen from the ball game out of a hat, which are outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the winning score gets that night $6. Top Cat, of course, picks first. Choo Choo, I wrote the scores down because these are crazy. He gets a score of over 100 each, but he's actually satisfied because last time he had one going to the 300s. Yeah, I kind of like his response. It's like, that's a baseball score? Oh, well, last time it was 300 to something to 300. My luck must be getting better. <laughs> Yeah, Fancy at this point is realizing that Top Cat always manages to win, but Top Cat poo-poos that notion as Fancy Fancy reads his score of Game Called on Account of Earthquake. Better things have happened. Yeah, Spook gets a 0-0 zero to zero tie, Benny gets 77-111, to 111, and Brain winds up with 97-0. to zero. 
and Topcat tries to pass his score off as nothing special. Just one to ten and combinations thereof. <laughs> it's just my rotten luck, you see. To Spook's credit, his could actually happen. Very true. And he also mentions he won't let anyone else put numbers in the hat since it's his hat. Yeah, it's like, Brain's like, why don't, why can't we pick the numbers? Do you have a hat? Well, no. Well, I do, and I'm very particular of what goes into it. It's a centric thing of mine. Uh, see, that's why Arnold Stagg's so good in this role. He's, he just reads those lines so confidently, no matter how like insane they are. Yeah, and they get insane. Because this is a heck of a fleecing for six bucks. So Topcat takes the gang to the game via the back of the bus, and I'll collect the fare from you guys when we get to the ballpark. Of course he will. Yeah. And TC yeah. is enjoying the Yankees game as Mickey Mantle takes the plate, and it's revealed he's watching via sitting on the backs of the other five. And it's at this point, in the face of all the evidence, I have to ask the question, why do they put up with this? Because they've got nothing better to do. That's really sad. That, and I assume when it, that, and they probably also like the benefit from whenever his plans actually do work, which they do. Oh, sometimes. fair then. And they probably just don't want to work a job. Oh, yeah. It, it was the 1960s. <laughs> so, Mantle hits a blazer down center field. It's up, it's up, it's down. It lands on Top Cat's head. Instant karma. <laughs> Bam. Headshot. Yeah, that unlocked an achievement for Mantle. <laughs> and this cut causes Top Cat to go completely over the top dramatic, thinking he's going to go need to go to the hospital for surgery. And he tells the boys to start acting like an ambulance with Benny as the siren. It's the worst siren I've ever heard. <laughs> At least Benny's having fun with it. Chichu's left there, and Officer Dibble just conveniently comes up to ask him how the game's going. To which Chichu reveals that, as well as tells uh, Officer Dibble what happened to Top Cat. Yeah, it turns out at first Dibble's more concerned about the game, and he just lost his own betting pool among the precinct. Shouldn't be in those. Wow, man. What? What kind of... I don't know, that, that just sounds crazy. I mean, the fact that uh, just, just I'm crazy because just thinking of that in a modern day concept, like going to work and people are like betting on freaking baseball games and stuff. I can't even imagine that. Yeah, the, these days the office pools for football. <laughs> I've never been at a job that actually did those pools, so that, that's just crazy to me altogether. Yeah, I, I have, and I've I've only entered once and lost, so I was like, nope, never again. I don't know sports enough. Anyhow, after Dibble gets some more details from Choo Choo on Top Cat, he suspects another scam, like selling the doctor the Brooklyn Bridge. I didn't know it was for sale! <laughs> and off Dibble goes to investigate. Fortunately for us, the viewer, and for Top Cat himself, all he got was a slight bump on the head. Nothing to worry about. Yeah, good How thing too, knowing what we know now about concussions. So, and which all seems fine up until the uh, doctor feels the need to ask for his fee. Yeah, just as Topcat was launching into his pitch to sell the doctor a certain bridge. Jeez, even when Dibble is wrong, he's right. 
But the problem for Topcat is he has no cash. He offers to trade his pocket alarm clock for it. Well, I, uh, <clears throat> I seem to be a bit short of cash, Doc, and being a person of integrity, I'm willing to relinquish this fine, valuable family heirloom in lieu of said fee. Now, it's a splendid example of Renaissance art with certain minor repairs. It might even tell time. Okay, now, in comes Dibble, and he overhears the doctor talking about that old ticker of yours. It's in pretty bad shape. Cue misunderstanding. <laughs> oh, yeah. Classic sitcom plot driver. And the drama's compounded when the doctor says that the ticker has a week to go. Probably won't last a week. <laughs> yeah. The doctor waves his fee since he can't help with the bump, and TC says, Life is too short to hang around here if you catch my drift. <laughs> Adding more gravitas to Dibble's misunderstanding. <laughs> to which Officer Dibble decides to make his make TC's last days his best, even if slam TC slams door on him. <laughs> yeah, even if it kills him, and it just might. By the way, I just want to mention that the doctor in this episode is John Stevenson doing double duty. Oh, okay. And here I thought it was Paul Freeze, since he's listed in the credits, but I didn't see a recurring character for Paul Freeze. Yep, I just looked it up on IMDb, because I, I just remembered that we were thinking that, and I forgot to look it up. So I just now looked it up, and yeah, it's John Stevenson doing double duty. Uh, okay. Paul Freeze does uh, voice, let's see, in uh, there's an episode, The Con Man, where uh, Paul Freeze is a hot dog vendor. So. Oh, okay. But nope, that was uh, John Stevenson. All right. Well, back in Hoagie's Alley, we find Dibble has made Top Cat a hammock and has gotten him a foam rubber pillow a glass of lemonade, and a racing form. His favorite literature. <laughs> Tomcat sees this, and he knows that something is up. Yeah, he briefly considers be poisoning in the lemonade, but dismisses the possibility, instead thinking he's finally gotten Dibble to crack. <laughs> yeah, he realizes that Dibble wouldn't poison him because Dibble's too nice a guy, which is accurate. <laughs> yeah. So TC calls him over for a chat and asks him to confess what's up. And Dibble does not hesitate. He tells him what he heard. And Topcat tries to assure him it's just a bump on the head, but to no avail. Dibble is completely convinced despite what Topcat says and even gives him his whistle to call on him for any time that he needs help. Topcat tests this out, asking Dibble to carry him downtown, which he does. <laughs> Cue commercial break. Yeah. And when we return, Topcat is done with his lunch with Benny, and Benny's as baffled by the whole thing as Topcat is. TC is convinced that's a killing with kindness ploy. When I saw Dibble carrying you, I, you could have knocked me over with a feather. <laughs> it's less Benny and more like Curly, but mm -hmm. I tried. Topcat swears he won't be gaslit. His actual line, you think... Uh, now, now that gaslighting has re-entered the popular vernacular, that line has aged like fine wine. Really surprising, too. Yeah. But TC is convinced he can make Dibble crack, thinking things will get back to normal if he makes Dibble lose his temper. Cue Top Cat blowing the whistle and just throwing a slew of insults at Dibble. Yeah, listen here, Tubby. You're so ugly you should be starring in horror movies. But... Dibble's not biting. He says he deserves the insults. He even sniffles a bit. 
Topcat's still puzzling this over when the police phone rings, and he overhears Dibble telling the Sarge that he's taking it like a man. And when Dibble drops the line about TC having one week to live, Topcat now believes the doctor was holding out on him. And for the first time in my life, I think I'm really going to pass out. And Benny brings him back to the doctor, whereupon Dr. Smith insists that he was correct and knows nothing about what Dibble was saying. Which a frustrated Top Cat leaves saying, Come on, Benny, it looks like the doctor doesn't have any patience for his patience. <laughs> nothing, huh? Meanwhile, the doctor muses, I should have listened to my mother and been a tree surgeon. <laughs> but once they're out of the office, Top Cat finally puts two and two together and realizes it was the clock conversation Devil overheard. And now that he's armed with the whole story, TC decides to milk it for all it's worth. Now, I have to admit, it took them a little longer for them to reach this point than I thought it would. But admittedly, the detour with Top Cat thinking he was going to cash in his chips was amusing. <laughs> that night, I, I mentioned this to you off like recording, but uh, the whole he Top Cat says this line twice, and he says it in a couple of other episodes, but the my roommate and I will jokingly, when one of us says a bad joke, we'll jokingly say that, <laughs> and nothing. But. So when we come back, Top Cat is now summoning Dibble to take away the remains of a whole chicken dinner, quote-unquote, last meal. And he asks for a th finger bowl to wash his hands. Boy, he's laying it on thick, too. Oh. Not just that, he even asked Dibble to, to go to the police office and pass the hat around for him. Yeah, normally that's something that happens only after the the, uh, the individual has passed on, but uh, Top Cat has no time for protocol. <laughs> I mean, how is he going to enjoy it if he's already dead? <laughs> Devil agrees, and he even ups the ante by offering to go to all the precincts for charitable do donations from the other officers. After a quick cut, it's revealed that now the scam has been going on for a week past when Top Cat was expected to pass on, and the hat has been passed around six times. And this is also not to mention 14 last meals. <laughs> to which they're going to have a big going-away party this time. Oh, yeah. Top Cat calls it the biggest going-away party the city's ever seen, and he's even thinking of making it a weekly thing, so long as Dibble is paying the tab. <laughs> However, he makes one big mistake, and that's telling Dibble to invite all, any of his friends that he wants to have come to the party. Yeah, Dibble exits the alley, and it comes to him that he should invite the doctor. And upon encountering the doctor with the invite, the other shoe drops. The, the doctor just straight up is like, no, I told him his clock had a week to live, and I'm like, Wait, why didn't you just mention that the top cat when he came? Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> after that, and after Dibble vowing his uh, revenge, we return to Hoagie's Alley where TC and the gang are enjoying the food and flirting shamelessly with the lady cats. Up until Dibble turns off the music. I just want to mention that I love the scene with brain dancing <laughs> where it's like you just see the, the top of him and the girl cat and they're like doing like a waltz, but then it goes down. And his legs are just going everywhere. And she's standing still. Yep. But uh, Dibble portrays my favorite Hanna-Barbera like give well, not my favorite display of anger through a Hanna-Barbera cartoon that Fred Flintstone is very famous for doing when you're so angry 
You can't talk. You just growl. Yeah, he's roaring with rage at Top Cat. And the gang has already scrammed before TC could tell them the party's over. It's like traitors. <laughs> Collecting Top Cat in his trash can, Dibble says that Top Cat is going to get that Hudson River cruise from the top of the episode after all, via the Department of Sanitation. As he throws Top Cat in his trash can into a garbage truck. Cut to the gang, bidding him adieu from a pier, and Top Cat says, despite the less than stellar conditions, at least this way I'll avoid the crowd. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I, I think I used that in some of my old... I, I think I did a few old... have a few old videos, right? I threw that clip in after a bad joke, too. Just the... <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a very, very typical... Uh, sitcom setup, but God, I, I just love this episode. So many good lines, so many good deliveries, so many good character moments. Yes. But uh, when we come back from the break, we promise to have less than nothing. Wait. <laughs> You're watching Top Cat on Cartoon Network. On the next Penny and James podcast... By now, it's no secret we have a ton of affection for the works of Hanna-Barbera, having grown up watching the likes of Huckleberry Hound, Top Cat, Captain Caveman, Jabberjaw, Snagglepuss, and many, many more. Well, this roster of characters has been reunited and given a modern coat of proverbial paint, courtesy of C.H. Greenblatt's Jellystone. We're going to dive deep into this love letter to the kings of Saturday morning in two weeks. This one's going to get weird. Welcome back to Top Cat. The meeting will now start with the calling of the road. On the 1963 edition of Boomerang. From Cartoon Network. You know, I noticed something about these two episodes you sent me, Pembroke. They hmm. both have baseball subplots. That's coincidental, I assure you. Okay. Because I, I can tell you for a fact that there's a... I think that just has to do with this taking place in New York. But <laughs> yeah, baseball cool. comes up a lot, but... Yeah, at the peak of Mickey Mantle's career. But, uh, no, there's a completely different reason why I picked this second episode, and it's pretty obvious once the plot element comes. Indeed. But we open this episode with the gang actually playing baseball instead of betting on it, with Brain Slowball going super slow, and Top Cat complaining about Choo Choo giving him a strike. Who got you this, this umpire job after all? Dibble starts walking up, since it's against the law to play ball in the alley. And he makes the cat scram just after Top Cat hits the ball. But there's just enough time for TC to give Dibble the bat before the ball breaks Tony's pizzeria window. And seemingly lands right in Tony's eye. Hmm. Yeah, and it stays there as Tony walks right up to Dibble, who's stammering doesn't explain anything to the frustrated uh, pizza chef. The pizza chef just gives him back his baseball and walks off grumbling that what's next? Is Mickey Mantle going to give traffic tickets? Mm-hmm. To his credit, considering that's an, this is New York and that's an Italian chef, he's uh, lucky that he took that so well, to be honest. I'll say. Now, as Dibble vows revenge yet again, the police phone rings and the Sarge summons him to the precinct. The chief has chosen Dibble for an experiment. 
police patrol dogs. Uh, a sergeant, actually, but... Right. Sorry, who is yeah. also who is also again John Stevenson doing double duty as John Stevenson is the chief I mean not the chief the sergeant as well. Now Dibble's very amused with this. He he jokes, I always said the 13th precinct was going to the dogs. <laughs> His audience doesn't find it very funny though. Yeah. This is a new plan from the commissioner and the commissioner seemingly comes up with a lot of hairblane schemes from what they're saying. But as the sergeant points out, don't make fun of it, Dibble. He is your boss. It's a two-week trial with a highly trained, pure Mongolian police hound. And our first impression is the laugh. <laughs> yep, this, this is very much prototype Muttley. And we will see more and more of that as the episode goes on. Yep. It's a bulldog that's got the Muttley laugh because it's voiced by Don Messick, complete with stuff such things as yeah, 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 and whatnot. Now, admittedly, the sergeant is skeptical of the matter, too, but he and Dibble are going to have to go with it. This dog, Griswold, is very eager to make the grade to the point of dusting Dibble's badge and can observe a criminal from a mile away. The ensuing demonstration actually changes Dibble's mind. Dibble is actually impressed and thinks Griswold, which is the name of the dog, what a name, <laughs> is the perfect thing to help him get Top Cat. Yep, off they depart with Griswold holding the door, closing it, and then running literally through it. <laughs> as the sergeant is impressed by the dog's display of being tough as nails, too. Now, on the street, Dibble puts Griswold through his paces before they reach Hoagie's Alley. And Griswold's job is to guard the police phone, which Topcat has a long history of abusing. That might be an understatement, but still, yes. <laughs> now, Dibble goes off to do his rounds, and from the opposite direction, Topcat scat sings his way into the alley, being carried Egyptian sedan style by Brain and Choo Choo. What a life. <laughs> hey, he's helping him work out a bit. Mm. Yeah, meanwhile, Top Cat wants his catnap and is not to be disturbed by anyone, which is all Griswold needs to hear. However, when the police phone rings and Top Cat responds by saying it's a recorded message, that's when Griswold strikes. Mm-hmm. He, boy, Top Cat gets it in the end, both quite literally. Yeah, it's quite a tale to tell, <laughs> as Griswold. With complete Hanna-Barbera chomp sound, bites him literally in the ass. Mm -hmm. Dibble rushes in from the ensuing ruckus, and Topcat wants the dog arrested, but Griswold gives his honest report. Don't deny it! Griswold caught you right in the act! That's not the only place he caught me! <laughs> yeah, Dibble then shows off how well Griswold has been trained to a very unimpressed Topcat. What's he do for an encore? Wave bye-bye? <laughs> to which Griswold waves bye-bye and then realizes what he's done and gets very upset. <laughs> yeah, that triggers the Muttley Grumble. Anyhow, with Griswold around, Dibble says Topcat's operations are done for. So Topcat puts this to the test. And makes a run for it. <laughs> hey, look up there! You don't see that very often these days. It's the oldest triplic in the book, and it lets Topcat slip away, however briefly. Because as soon as he gets behind the corner and thinks he's gotten away from Griswold, Griswold has teleported right next to him. 
Yeah, we've. This is the personification of dogged determination. Can I mention one just weird aspect to all this? Sure. So, Top Cat and all these cats are sentient cats, but the dog is still just a dog. It is definitely a puzzler. Anyways. Yeah. So, Top Cat decides that he'll try to make him run for it again in front of Griswold, but runs in the opposite direction Griswold does. Only to have Griswold still be there when he arrives. Realizing he's got to get smarter, Top Cat now tries tricking him into the trash can as part of a dog trick routine. And that only removes Griswold momentarily as he catches up with the whole gang over at Yankee Stadium. When they once again try to sneak their way into a baseball game. Yep. Griswold is not making this an easy thing for Top Cat. No. In fact, sending him in a cab to Jersey doesn't even work for more than a few seconds. And climbing up a telephone pole only serves to demonstrate the power of this dog's particular bite. As he completely bites and demolishes an entire telephone pole. Chop! Fully! Chop! Fully! Chop! Fully! To which Top Cat just ends up giving up and saying, Let's get it over with. Which I I just want to say that since you can... The way they have it to where it's cut off to where you can't see where Top Cat's being bit, but you still see his tail completely during the whole chomp sound effect and Top Cat's scream of pain kind of makes it look like he may have gotten bit someplace else. Oh, well, at least the vet didn't get to him. But Ouch. maybe the vet would have been better. <laughs> Those are only jewels I had. So when we find Top Cat next, he's explained to Benny about how everyone should do their part to combat inflation, which to Top Cat is a matter of overproduction, and he's doing his part by combating overproduction of pizzas. So with a fishing rod, he tries to fish himself out a pizza, but unfortunately Griswold is there, and while Top Cat thinks he's gotten himself a heavy combination pizza... With anchovies. Yep. He instead has gotten, well, a hot dog. <laughs> And no mustard either. <laughs> so then we find Top Cat, Benny, and Choo Choo playing cards at the docks, thinking that they finally shook Griswold. But nope, Griswold has scuba gear. And while everybody, and while Choo Choo and Benny see Griswold and make a run for it, Top Cat doesn't catch on as fast. And well, another bite. <laughs> I do want to say I love the Hanna Barbera stock chomp sound effect. It's so it's so good. It sounds painful. <laughs> Top Cat's next scheme almost works. He decides to try and pawn off Griswold to a very pixie-sounding kid, no doubt also voiced by Don Messick. Yep. And this kid asks Top Cat to pay him for taking the dog. Top Cat's actually impressed with the kid's moxie. <laughs> he says he has to keep an eye on him. Yeah, but it doesn't work. The father says no more dogs and means it yeeting Griswold out of the house and back into Top Cat's uh, unwilling embrace. From there, they decide to come up with a new plan to try and get rid of our boy Griswold. Indeed. Brank suggests shipping Griswold to Alaska, which Top Cat initially dismissed, but then realizes it's a good idea. Quipping, I hear Alaska's real cool this time of year. <laughs> This happens a few times where Brain will just come up with actually good plans, but it's kind of, but, you know, people don't realize it 
at first because, you know, it's brain. Yeah. So Top Cat fakes a collect call to Miami Beach on the police phone, which sends Griswold right after him. A leap in time leads to the dog into a box trap, but Griswold frees himself of the box when the mailman comes to collect. And TC's back to square one again. Yep. Another dog bite. So an over-the-moon Dibble is reporting Griswold's impressive success rate to the Sarge. And the Sarge wants to come see it in action at 3.30 with the commissioner and his wife in tow. Topcat, of course, overhears all this, and he hatches a plan to eliminate Dibble. You mean Griswold? Well, well... Oh, wait, no, yeah. To eliminate Griswold via eliminating Dibble. Yes. I suppose is the way to put it. Because at just before 3 o'clock, despite Brain's inability to tell time... Despite being the only one with a watch, seemingly... Topcat springs his plan into action on another nearby phone, luring Dibble to First and Jackson, where Big Jake and his mob are going to pull a job. Dibble rushes off, having dreamed of such a tip, and orders no one use the phone to Griswold. And just then, the Sarge arrives. The Sarge decides to call into the precinct with the phone and to see where Dibble is, and, well, <laughs> as you can expect... A chomp sound to the Sarge. Yeah, Sarge is not amused. And as Dibble returns complaining about the phony tip, he and the Sarge collide. And as they're trying to figure out what's going on, the commissioner arrives and he decides to use the phone to find out where everyone is. Cue another bite. Also cue another Don Messick, as the commissioner is also Don Messick. Don yeah. Messick is doing triple duty this episode. <laughs> And then, as the commissioner is interrogating Dibble, his wife gets on the phone. By the way, his wife is voiced by Jean Vanderpil, best known as Wilma Flintstone. Ah, okay. And we know where this is going next. There's yet another bite, but it's on Dibble, who actually manages to get to to the commissioner's wife in time. Which also props to Dibble, because he picked up the commissioner's wife and held her over his head. Even while being bit. Ooh, that's smart. Yeah. I can almost hear the freaking like, quick draw McGraw line for that. So the commissioner calls off the experiment and they try to console a despondent Griswold and they still haven't replaced their pants. Okay, look, I, I can't answer for the commissioner, but, you know, maybe they were low on uniforms for the other two. Fair. But, you know, it it works as a gag. <laughs> yes. But through this all, Dibble is bemoaning that Griswold is jobless while Topcat has it easy in the alley, which gives old Grizzy an idea. Before we get to that, I just want to say I, I love, I, I, I find the idea that uh, Dibble's actually wondering if there's unemployment for dogs kind of amusing. Mm-hmm. It's like, what world is this that you can actually wonder if that's a thing? A fair point. So, as Topcat says goodnight to his crew, he settles into his can and... Griswold has already moved in. And all Topcat can do is let this sleeping dog lie. And that ends our episode. Cue Muttley laugh. Yep. So as we alluded to, Top Cat will be reran in syndication for decades after its initial run. 
My local NBC affiliate would air it just before the regular Saturday morning lineup, which caused me to be very familiar with the theme song and the end credits sequence when I'd be getting up early to tune in for whatever show was first in the regular Saturday lineup. I remember watching uh, I remember watching it a lot on TBS and other like channels just randomly. I can't remember. I remember it appearing on TBS, but that's the only one I'm remembering at the moment, as well as seeing it on Cartoon Network, of course. Right. Now, the frequent rerunning led to a sustained level of popularity for Top Cat and crew, where they'd appear in other Hanna-Barbera projects, including Yogi's Ark Lark, which was the pilot movie for the Yogi's Gang TV series, and Top Cat would show up on his own in that show's follow-up, Yogi's Treasure Hunt. Uh, it's worth mentioning that in uh, Yogi's Gang, in Yogi's Ark Lark and Yogi's Gang is the only time before his death that Top Cat is not played by Arnold Stagg. It's actually Dawes Butler doing him for that one. Yeah, and it's definitely similar to uh, to his hokey wolf voice. No surprise yeah. there. Also, man, I don't look forward to doing Yogi's Gang. Because if you know what the first episode of Yogi's Gang is about. Yeah, we've discussed that a few times. <laughs> Mr. Bigot. Dr. Bigot. Doctor. Oh, He's got a doctorate in bigotry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He did not go to. He did not spend eight years in discrimination school to be called Mister Bigot. <laughs> oh Lord! It's also that they came out during that era of high censorship seventies cartoons. So I'm just like, okay, Superman can't punch a bad guy, but Doctor Bigot is okay. Regardless, the sustained popularity of this series also earned Top Cat a place in the Hanna-Barbera 10 line of direct-to-TV movies, which was titled Top Cat and the Beverly Hills Cats, which is notable for featuring comedian Avery Shriver as Benny the Ball. Yep. I think Frank Welker is uh, Officer Dibble in it, but I'm not sure. I do know that uh, the credits on the... uh, movies airing are actually mislabeled because they actually say Maurice Gosfield and Alan Jenkins are being the ball and Officer Dibble despite them being I think dead at the time. Yeah, sad but true. But what puzzles me about Top Cat the most is that this sustained popularity did not translate into a full episodic revival whereas Yogi Bear, The Jetsons, and Johnny Quest all received those at one point or another in the 80s. Yeah, it's weird that that didn't happen, but, you know, boy, did the Flintstones get a lot of revivals. Oh, yeah, but, you know, there was still money in the Flintstones, and just like there's still money today in Scooby-Doo and Tom and Jerry, which is why we see them over and over and over and over. Oh, uh, correction, John Stevenson is the one voicing Officer Dibble in... uh, the Beverly Hills Cats. Sorry, I had oh, to okay. check that out. Um, I thought it was Frank for some reason. I don't know why. It's been a while. Arnold Stang, of course, uh, reprises his role as Top Cat for both that made-for-TV movie and the uh, Yogi's Treasure Hunt. As well as in uh, the Wake, Rattle, and Roll Fender Bender 500 segment we talked about earlier. Yep. Where he's right alongside Choo Choo. Yep. Fender Bender 500, where Dick Dastardly actually does win a race. Yep, a to win a red square. Well, he wins the Russian red square, which is literally a red piece of paper. Right. Given. Yeah, we've been over that before. 
Yeah, that's also a gag in uh well, that's also just the gag in Fender Bender 500 because every race, the prize is always pretty much a what's the word for a bad prize? Um, a zonk. Yeah. Thank you. Let's make a deal. <laughs> or a whammy. Oh, yeah. Now, as we also mentioned earlier, the show is massively popular, not just in Mexico, but in several South American countries, spawning not one but two theatrical films made specifically for those markets. Yeah, because Mexico's gotten a big animation boom out of surprisingly nowhere, it felt like. And uh, one of the things the projects they did were two Top Cat movies, which sadly, despite the fact I love Top Cat, I still have not seen those. Oh, we're going to have to make a point to, to check them out if, if and when we ever get together. As, from what I've hear, heard, the first movie I've heard is decent. Um, it uses an interesting mix of kind of like 2D and 3D animation that I actually think... I watched the trailer, and from some points, I was like, that looks good, and some points, I was like, ooh. <laughs> but uh, I've heard the first one is actually... I, I've heard mixed things, but roughly, I think the basic consensus is it's decent. Uh, after that, the second movie is made to be a prequel to the series, and I've heard that one is... That one's full CG, and I've heard it's not very good. Hmm. But as far uh, as the U.S. market goes, the top cat of the gang would be relegated to cameos on shows like the Powerpuff Girls, Duck Dodgers, and the Wacky Races revival. Until the arrival of Jellystone on HBO Max just last week as of the publishing of this episode. Yay! A show I'm highly looking forward to, yet due to this being made in advance, have not seen yet. Yeah. You know, maybe we should do a special bonus episode where we re- where we talk about the show after we watch it. Or heck, maybe that should just be our next episode. Oh, maybe. I kind of prefer to do things after their run is complete, but yeah, why not? Or maybe that could even be a video. Hey, we can figure something out. Yeah, there, there's lots of options, but let's just say we're glad to have Top Cat and Company back. I'm just glad to see all of these Hanna-Barbera characters get used, because uh, for the longest time, it feels like all Warner Brothers cared about really was the Scooby-Doo when it comes to Hanna-Barbera properties. Scooby-Doo was the only one they really gave any attention to. Uh, they made that new Wacky Races reboot, which was actually pretty good, but they really didn't give that much attention to it despite it getting two seasons. Like, I barely felt like they acknowledged it existed. Yeah, unfortunately... And the less said about the attention that Banana Splits got, the better. Well, fortunately, they're in Jellystone, and they're not Five Nights at Freddy's wannabes, so that's good. I I do like Top Cat's design on Jellystone, because they made his hat brim kind of bigger, so it kind of gives him this pimp look now. (laughs) And they gender-flipped Choo Choo and two of the others. Yeah, Choo Choo Brain and Spook, who is now named Spooky. Okay. Yeah, a few characters got gender swapped, and I'm, and it's for like diversity reasons. It's because if they didn't do this, it'd be like a show of ninety nine point nine percent male characters. Yeah, and you know what? As far as I'm concerned, this is if the Hanna Barbera old school cartoons are Earth One, I look at Jellystone as Earth Two. I can see that. I mean, seemingly in Jellystone, Jokey has a freaking medical license. Yeah, he may be smarter than the average bear, but I'm not sure he's medical school smart in either Earth. <laughs> I just love that scene of Boo Boo going, I'm being sued for malpractice. <laughs> Which I found out something about 
boo boo that when I found when I found that out is actually makes that scene even more hilarious to me. The guy in charge of the show is C. H. Greenblatt, who uh, I know best as the creator of a Cartoon Network show, Chowder. Uh-huh. Uh, he's the one who's doing Jellystone. He's also voicing Boo Boo on this show, and I think a couple other characters too. Yep. See, I don't remember the other ones, but I remember specifically Boo Boo because it like that line just became all the more funny when I realized the creator was the one, or the guy in charge was the one who's you know. He's Boo Boo Bear, Doggy Daddy, Peter Potamus, and Biddy. Hey, he's being the ball. Okay. Nice. Yeah, a lot of people are doing multiple duty on this, but that's not to be surprised. Yeah, we'll talk a lot more about Jellystone when we do whatever project we wind up doing out of it. <laughs> I am so amped to see this. Yeah, ditto. Oh, absolutely. something I, I found out about it that you might be interested in. Okay. Captain Caveman characters aren't limited to just Captain Caveman or KV Jr. as seen in the pilot. Yeah, I heard uh, Teen Angels are back. Yeah, I, the voice cast list uh, Taffy Dare and Dee Dee Sykes. I do not see Brenda mentioned, though. Oh, if their character designs are anything like what they did with uh, Johnny Quest and Haji, they'll look good. Yeah, which, by the way, legit Arabic actor is voicing Shazan and Haji in it, so that's cool. Yeah, I'm really curious what they do with Shazan. I'm wondering if it's going to be like, this is where he's he just hangs out regularly until he's summoned by those two kids. I, I'm very curious, too, because much Shazan is very much not the type of show most of the other characters are, but neither is Johnny and Haji, so... Right. And I've been watching a lot of Shazan recently because uh, that's what the next Cartoon Catastrophe episode's going to be, but mm. that's... Hopefully, it probably already aired by the time this airs. But, yeah, wow. Um, I really hope Shazam's not on the same level he was in that show, because there's some episodes where he is somewhat mildly disturbing to say. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Ho, 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 getting hot, let me throw you in the sun! Ho, ho, ho! Well, at this point, I think we've run out of things to talk about with Top Cat, though. I love, I just want to say that I love Top Cat. It is literally one of the best shows that it, it's one of the best shows Hanna-Barbera ever made. I think it's definitely one of the one best written shows they've made, probably. Yeah, it's been about 60 years now, and to this day, Top Cat is the undisputable leader of the gang. One thought before you leave. Oh, yeah. So you, you remember the Heathcliff cartoon with Heathcliff and the Cats and Company, or the Cadillac Cats, whichever name you want to give them. Yep. You, do you think that was inspired by Top Cat? Possibly. It, it does kind of feel like an attempt at a at the time modern take on Top Cat in a way. Hmm. Yeah, it's been a while since I've watched much Cadillac Cats. Besides that, that one episode you you showed us with uh, the rich twin. <laughs> well, we'll keep that in mind for another time. Sorry, it was on my head, so I had to get it out. It, it, fair enough. It, it's a valid point. Right now, I, I think I'm out of Golden Grams, so we better head off to the store. All right. See ya. And for everyone else, I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke of you, Corgi. Thanks for tuning in. See ya. The opinion changed to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. 
The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.